Father, we thank you for, for your presence. And though you, Jesus, have ascended into heaven and you have taken your place at the right hand of God and you are there, you also are here. And you said that where we gather together in your name, you are there in the midst. We thank you that you have sent your spirit. And the same spirit that is fully with you and present in heaven, we thank you that the same spirit of God is here in our midst to unveil and to reveal that which exists right now around your throne. And so, Father, as we gather together in your name, we are asking that that Holy Spirit would be present here to reveal what is happening around your throne. Cause it to become real, because it is real. Cause it to become known in this earth. And Lord, we pray that as we look at your word, we would be transformed. We would be changed by, by the power of your Holy Spirit to become like you. We want to be like you, Lord. And Lord, we, more, more than being like you, Lord, we, we want you to live your life through us. And so we, we give it all to you, Jesus. Proclaim you to be our king, our head, our shepherd. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, welcome again. And what we're going to be doing over the next number of weeks is we are going to be doing a kind of uh, number of messages having to do with the uh, kind of core values of, uh, or talking about together as a church, core values of how we are going to be building uh, this church or how we feel like Jesus has designed to build this church. And um, if I were in your shoes, I might be inclined to hear what I just said and to feel as though that sounds profoundly unexciting. The core values of a church. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it is exciting, actually, because it's, 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 core, it's, it's the core of Christ's kingdom in, in Jesus' heart. And so um, there are things that we do uh, and ways, perhaps unique ways, that we will operate as a church and we want everybody to be aware of the values that exist behind those things. And so, um, how many of you know that uh, you are unique? Kurt is unique. How long did it take you to discover that, Kurt? No. Um, all, every single person, it doesn't take long, actually, to discover in, this, in the course of this earth that uh, we all think that we are normal, you know, we're the standard of normality, uh, but pe people are different. And every local church is also unique and by the design of God. So there's not a way to do church. Uh, it is by his design that we each play a different function. Some churches, for example, will be the shoulder in the body of Christ. Some an eye, some a nose. I don't know what that might look like some a kidney, et cetera, et cetera. The same God who created the physical body is the same God who created the body of Christ. You and I are unique with a different function and what Tamora needs to do tomorrow in her pursuit of Jesus, in her expression of God's call for her is profoundly different from mine. And that's perfectly fine. There are things that undergird both of our, 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 our walk in, in, in God, uh, but the expression is different. And so we want to take some time just to share 
out of the abundance of what we feel is God's heart for this particular local church, some of the values of how we'll be building. And the first today, which I feel is probably the most important, is, um, is Jesus being the absolute center of everything that we do and everything that we are. I've talked to the worship uh, guys, the guys who lead worship, they can vouch for this. They're, they're, you know, like talking about song selection and how we do this. And I'm like, guys, honestly, what we want, the song selection, don't feel like this is some hard and fast rule, but let's make sure every Sunday the name of Jesus gets airplay, big time. And that there are songs that are accurately describing him in his personhood to where we as a local church can be declaring here in the earth the recognition of who he really is and what he really is like. There's something powerful in that. So in, the, in this church, we are going to be unashamedly preaching Jesus. If we preach about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, like tongues and interpretation of tongues and that kind of thing, we teach on finances, if we teach, whatever the case may be, Jesus, not just as some rule, but because of the passion of our heart, Jesus has got to be the core of anything that is spoken from this place right here. The core. If he's not seen, I believe, if he's not being revealed, if he's not being encountered, I believe we've missed our mark as a church. All we really have to give to Detroit is him. He's the one who actually has what Detroit needs. And all we have is him. He's got the answers. He'll bring the answers through us, which is really cool, but it's not us or anything that we have. It's him. The gospel always remains at the center. And so we want to worship him. We want to we rave about him. And even as we gather together in our, the various ways that we do, anything from me and Jason having breakfast, which we do on a fairly regular basis, um, to this moment here on a Sunday, our main objective, honestly, guys, is to host his presence. Um, we, in other words, we don't just want to go through our plan as a church and go through the, 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 the sequence of how we ought to. Now, do we have structure? Do we generally have a plan? Absolutely, and there's no problem with that. But the objective is always, he can mess that plan up. The objective is to seek his wonderful presence and for, uh, for him to be doing in our gatherings what he wants to do. If he wants to shut everything down and, and, and have prayer for the sick, let's do that. If, if we just need to spend extended times because in worship we're sensing his presence and that he just needs to be, we need to seek him and continue in that, let's do that and not even have a, a message, right? So that's, that's kind of the heart behind it. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus is the center of everything that we do, and I hope that anyone who is called to build together with this church will learn, not that you already haven't, but will, will, will carry that value together with us. Not only in what we do as a church, not just about church meetings, in everything that you do. When you go to work tomorrow, that Jesus is the point. He's, he is the issue. So having said that, I've had some conversations with, with people some who are even in this, in this city, uh, people that I've had the, the, the privilege of meeting, who have said this where, where church is concerned. I am interested in helping right injustices. I am interested in helping those who can't help themselves. But when it comes to having my soul saved, not so much. And to be honest with you, I totally get where they're coming from. Not, not because I agree with it, but I get it. 
Because the church has oftentimes been um, perhaps disengaged from, like we're like into our spiritual thing and building this thing within our four walls and we're doing our thing and completely ignorant of the hurt that exists right beyond the four walls. And that's not right. That needs to actually change. We, uh, not that we need to go like make it happen, but if we're really following Jesus, I believe that Jesus will lead us to, to hurting situations. But why, the question is this, why do we say that Jesus is the center of everything that we're doing? I, honest, I believe, I am convinced, because he is worthy, because he's that good, because he is that exalted, because the, and there's a cry in the human heart to have a leader. And to have a leader, you've got to be convinced of two things ultimately. Selfless love. That, the, that this leader has something of a selfless love. In other words, they're not wanting to exploit me. They're not wanting to just do their thing at my expense. They're, they're, they're love selflessly. However, I can have the most loving person... But it doesn't necessarily mean that I want to follow them because they may be a complete doofus, right? So the second thing is selfless love and power. They need to have authority. They need to have the goods to actually lead me to where I need to go. So they want the, what's best for me and they're going to want to lead me to the, what, the right place, not just for their good but for mine and those with me, but they also have the goods to get there, the power in Jesus and in Jesus alone we find both of those things at, in their completion. And so, and so when I say that we want to center on Jesus, I'm saying that is the only reasonable option that we have. Now, I, I understand living in this world, we're not taught that. I believe that the only life is truly found in following the Son of God. And so if that is the case, I want to see him, I want to know him, I want, to, I want to experience him. I want to know that what I'm doing today is because of him. And it originated in him and I'm following him. So this th thing of I'm interested in helping the hurting. I'm interested in, in helping right injustices and that kind of thing. But I'm not getting my soul saved. You know, that's not really, I, I get that concept. But let me say this. If Jesus really is who he is, and if he really did for you and for me what he did, then that's the greatest tragedy to miss that. I believe that Jesus is, and the gospel is the greatest humanitarian thing there is in this earth. And, and I say that in the presence of Courtney who is, and Jason who are doing amazing humanitarian things with, with their participation in AWOL as well as what they're giving birth to in JJ's house. Practical, tangible love. And I believe that Jason and Courtney would both guarantee with me fully the gospel, what Jesus has done, undergirds and trumps all of it. In fact, everything that they're doing with AWOL, and I was at the gala on Friday night where we heard the heart behind, all worthy of love, it's all about Jesus. Reaching um, uh, victims of sex trafficking, it is because of the grace of God that reaches out to anybody, the trafficker and the trafficked. I love it. Um, so, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about this, this, this concept of what Jesus actually did. Put it into perspective. So, and I've actually mentioned this kind of in a, in a way before, uh, but 
with regards to Jesus' love, Jesus' power, the, the, the origin, to under, really understand what Jesus came to do. Because you can't understand unless you understand what the original intent was. Jesus came to fix a problem. And to understand that problem, we have to go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter, chapter 3, let's say. Genesis chapters 1 through 3. So he came to fix a problem. And to understand what Jesus did, it's, it's, we have to understand what the actual problem was. And to understand what the problem was, we have to understand what the original intent was before the problem happened. So I've already lost some of you. So the problem is this, that we know that Adam and Eve, created by God, first man, first woman in the earth, ate the forbidden fruit. And actually the issue wasn't so much the fruit, it was the fruit, the real issue, the real, the real, the, the, the horror, the tragedy, was that their heart was deceived into going out from a place where they trusted and understood God, their loving Father, and trusted rather into another, to another voice, put their trust in another voice that tried to tell them that God could not be trusted. And in that place, man, the person, man and women who had been delegated authority of the earth, they had been given authority. They took that authority and they submitted themselves to another power. That was the tragedy. It cut off a, a, spiritual, a spiritual issue. But I, what I want to understand is be, even before that, see, we understand the problem and the sin and bad, bad, you bad, human, bad, sinner. But what about the heart that, of God that created man before that? If you go before that in Genesis chapter 1, you'll find a picture of creation. Most of you would be well familiar with it. And God created everything in six days. And it's a whole lot like the, a baby room. You know, when we, when we gave, or Minda, I should say, gave birth to Peter. Let's give honor where honor's due. Um, and, uh, and we created a, or took our, our, our guest room, our second bedroom at the time, and we made it into a, uh, uh, like a baby room slash guest room. And so we painted the room with baby-friendly colors, and we put a crib in, and we put a changing table in, and we put, um, you know, stuffed animals and these kinds of things, and we created everything and made it ready for the baby so that when the baby would be born, we would have a room that's prepared for it to where it would be, have everything that it needs, and we made a place suitable and ready for, for the baby. The Genesis chapter 1, exact same concept. God, out of the abundance of his heart, is preparing for the most important thing in his heart, which is the creation of man and woman. And he creates systematically and with great strategy every day. And he creates the stars and he separates the waters from the land and he creates the, the heavens and, and he creates the vegetation. And at the end of every day, God said it was good. And, um, and then on the sixth day, he creates mankind and is exactly like that baby room that we created for Peter, that everything was ready and God was excited. And we were excited when we brought Peter into that, into that room. God was so thrilled that on the sixth day he could create mankind. And uh, he formed him out of the dust of the earth. And he was going to make him into be the only part of creation that would uniquely share spiritual communion with him. Make him a living being by himself, breathing the breath of life into this form that had been formed out of the dust of the earth and he would breathe the breath of life making him a spiritual being and so that he could have unique spiritual communion with this unique creation on the sixth day and he did it and in that moment he breathed into the face of Adam which means that when Adam received that breath the first thing that he would have seen 
not any of the creation, the first thing that Adam would have seen is the face of a loving God with piercing eyes of love that are undistracted from any other part of creation, peering into the soul of Adam of pure love. And in that day, God said, not that it was good, but it is very good. And so this heart of God creating mankind, the greatest thing in the heart of God, the greatest, most important part of the heart of God, which, which can I say, based on what I just told you, Everything that you know that is created, whether in heaven or in this earth, not one thing, not one part of existence, material existence, not one epic of history, not one physical thing that exists will ever be more important in God's heart than you or me. We are the most important. We, everything else, and that is an amazing thought to me, the galaxies, the solar systems, they were all created just like that baby room was created for the pleasure of our son. Everything has been created and only has value as far as God is concerned in so much that it directly relates to the benefit of humankind. Even something that is just for our pleasure, our entertainment. And so that's the original heart of God created for spiritual communion. He raved about us. And that is the tragedy of what happened at the fall. That is why Jesus actually came. And if that is the case, my friends, I want to repeat what I said earlier. I believe Jesus, what he started, what he did, and what he has given us to do is the single greatest humanitarian effort that exists on the planet. Because it brings us back into our purpose with an ultimately loving God who has all power and all love and who is the greatest thing that we can possibly have. Does that take away from our need to physically, practically help people who are hurting, right? And just absolutely not. If we really love the way he loves, we will do those things too. But the gospel, Jesus, the hero, remains at the center. And so when Jesus came... When Jesus came, and let's, let's put Jesus, let's, let's d describe Jesus and identify him as he actually is. When Jesus came, let's read this, John 3, verse 16 and 17. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And it actually says, as many of you would know the scripture, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the heartbeat that drove Jesus' practical, real benefit for humanity. From humanity, Saving us uh, from perishing, giving us that which we had before that horrible tragedy that I described, the fall of man happened. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Can I repeat that? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so I was at this gala that Minda mentioned earlier. On, uh, Minda and I went there with the Faradays, Courtney and Jason, on Friday night. And we hear about All Worthy of Love, AWOL. And, um, and this incredible ministry, the, um, reaching out to, to uh, sec victims of sex trafficking, human trafficking, firstly here in Detroit, but they're also branching out into areas of Texas. And uh, they go out and they, they build relationship in these spurts of time that they can. They can't, like, hang out with you know, with the, 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 the sex trafficking victims for, for long periods of time. Um, and it's dangerous. These, women, these or men and women that go out um, are risking something to go reach these people. 
They're putting themselves at risk, and they could very well be rejected when they get there. So putting yourself at personal risk only to possibly be rejected, only possibly even if somebody receives the help, to walk through very difficult scenarios with people who have issues and aren't exactly walking through a restoration process in, in you know, perfect rose-colored, uh, you know, garden experience. I don't know if that made sense, but hopefully you caught what I tried to, tried to say there. <laughs> a very difficult thing. It's an expression, I believe, of sacrificial love. Now, if, if, if reality is, a lot of Christians, and I certainly don't mean to be critical uh, but I believe it would be safe to say a lot of Christians, if going out in this kind of thing, if you were to just say, hey, go out with these people with a wall and, and, and go reach the victims of sex trafficking, it could be a whole lot of uh, trying to share the gospel before you even get the person's name. <laughs> because we're, you know, when, when we're on mission, we, we, you know, we're thinking about that, that we're tunnel visioned. And, or it could be with the best of intentions, uh, a whole lot of language being used that basically without saying it says you're in sin, you're a problem, you have a problem and you need to get help from us. Rather than coming in, rather, rather, so instead of pointing the finger at a problem, coming and serving, which is what I've seen uh, Courtney and Jason both doing so incredibly, knowing that they could be rejected, knowing that they could be putting themselves at risk for the sake of the value of that person, as desperate and seemingly helpless as they may be. And let me just say, that lady that Minda referred to, one of the beneficiaries, one of the people who have been rescued from that trap, got up on Friday night and shared for the first time. And after hearing the founder of the organization talking about the realities of sex trafficking, and then you see a victim of sex trafficking get, getting up, knowing that she was walking in some of the, the realities of the stuff. It was a holy moment. I mean, you could hear a pin drop. Uh, amazing, amazing thing. And uh, so why am I bringing that up? That is what Jesus did, my friends. He could have come into this earth to, to point the finger at the problem and rightfully tell us how we're wrong, and he's right, but rather he expressed great without any guarantee of getting anything from us. He gave everything for us. Now, I know we've heard that before, but let's, as a church community, allow that to sink into the fabric of our being. Jesus conferred value upon us that is without measurement. He could not have given anything more for you and me with nothing on our side giving to him. You cannot get him to love you. It's written in stone forevermore. So what did Jesus actually do? I mean, it's just in terms of, of um, you know, appreciating and understanding exactly what he did. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in other words, what we're saying there, the sin that rightfully deserved the punishment and wrath of God that was inside of every single child of Adam, including you and me. And, and if you don't believe me, um, let's ask yourselves this question. If we were to ask somebody who knew you, 
does this person have error and flaw? Do you think that there would be people who would say about you that you have error and flaw? Then, <laughs> then, then, then it's evidence that there is error and flaw inside of all of us that was originally never there. We originally weren't as annoying as we are. And selfish. And and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Now I'm, I'm not trying to bash us and make us feel bad, but the reality is is that whether you're Adolf Hitler, whether you're a sex trafficker, or whether you're Paul Nichols, a pastor, all of us have this thing inside of us. All of us need a savior. And what did Jesus actually do? He became sin for us that we wouldn't have to bear the punishment of sin. He became sin for us. So what, what is this thing of this cross picture? What is this Jesus becoming a, a sin for us? He took the wrath that was rightfully due sin so that if we would simply receive him, we wouldn't have to go through and endure the same pain. So let's just kind of consider here. If you look at some of what Jesus went through, Let's just take into consideration. Why are we going through this? Because of the historical fact and, and the information about Jesus? No, because this is personal. This is what Jesus did for Patricia. This is what Jesus did for Heather, for Aminda, for myself. Scourging. So, in other words, being beaten with that, those, those um, cat of nine tails. He would have endured fractured ribs, ruptured organs, and internal bleeding. To me, right there, you can end it. But it went on. Then they put a crown of thorns on him. This is the wrath of God being poured out upon sin. It became sin for us. Crown of thorns would have mainly resulted in, in significant pain, but it also would have resulted in, in significant bleeding because of the uh, tenderness of, of the skin around the, around the skull. Carrying the cross, which any of you who have done any weight training, the cross would have been, in that time, uh, based on the, the two sides of the, of the cross, would have together equaled probably over 300 pounds. I don't know if you've ever done any lunges before or squats or even deadlifts or even know what any of those things mean. Uh, 300 pounds is a heck of a lot of, of weight. To go up Mount Calvary with 300 pounds would have been uh, after the fractured ribs and the internal bleeding would have been unbelievably uh, difficult. And then, of course, nailed to a cross, uh, enduring uh, severe pain, and then actually hanging on the cross, which Dr. Frederick Zugibe, who is a medical examiner, uh, said that he would have died from shock due to loss of blood and fluid, plus traumatic shock from his injuries, plus cardiogenic shock causing heart failure. This is what Jesus did physically on our behalf, to me, the far greater thing is that the ultimate result of sin is spiritual separation from God. And in that moment, as he was hanging on that cross, Jesus said these words that most of us have heard before, Elohi, Elohi, lama sabachthani, which translated would simply mean, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, Jesus experienced the separation of God, the ultimate pain on both the heart of the Father as well as the, the, the horror and the agony on the part of the Son. Why was all this, did all this happen? So that he would take the full punishment on your half and my behalf. He is the ultimate hero. There's no humanitarian effort that could ever trump, sorry Courtney, could ever trump what Jesus has done on our behalf. For the sake of 
of us being able to experience something on this side of eternity of what we were originally created for, living in that intimate place where we're peering into the eyes of our creator and loving father and him into us receiving and sharing love. I love that. Secondarily, if you look at that scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who made no sin to be, for, uh, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So sin was put on Jesus, but the thing is, is that the result of what he did, as we receive Jesus, we receive Jesus, the Holy One, into ourselves, and God reckons that we are as righteous as him as a result just as though we were him. He receives us as perfect beings. There is no shame. We have direct access to God. He made us to become the righteousness of God in him, and he became sin for us. It's the most horribly unjust situation and the most absolute greatest expression of love that man has, could ever know. So at the cross, the worst about us, our sins, was laid upon him, and the best about him, his righteousness, was laid upon us. So I want to help the poor, but I don't really want my soul to be saved. I'm telling you, as much as I understand where that comment comes from, we are so much missing out on the greatest thing there is. And it's not just about us bad people getting our souls saved so we can go to— it is restoration of that thing that inside every single one of us, all of us, truly want— to be fully loved and fully loved by somebody who's actually got the power to lead us into what he's, he's got for us. And having said that, secondarily, power. If I could just read this scripture. I just want to look at two scriptures with, with regards to his power. Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. This is the heart of Paul, this guy, Apostle Paul, planting churches all over Mediterranean Europe, consumed with the reality of Jesus. And remember, Paul was not somebody who walked physically with Jesus. He wasn't one of the twelve. He was, in fact, the first time that we know him, he was Saul of Tarsus, and he was persecuting Christians. He was killing them. Something happened to him. He had an encounter with this Jesus, and subsequently had a revelation with this Jesus that caused him to become absolute wonky in terms of how he led his life from that point forward, risking his life time and time again to preach about this Jesus being resurrected, and when he planted these churches, he, he didn't just kind of do what, I, I don't, I mean, I was going to say do what I'm doing now. Who knows? Maybe, maybe somebody will want to throw stones at me and kick me out of town. I don't know. Come on, bring it on. <laughs> I'm being a dork. But he risked his life to plant these churches. And then these letters that he would write to these, to these churches expressing something that he had risked his life for, this is what he says in terms of how he's praying for them. Just, just. Pay attention to this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I just want to pause there and say that this, I, I want to suggest maybe Paul wasn't only seeing Jesus, the, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of God on a cross, although as true as that is and amazing that is of the, of the love of God, there was something of a resurrected Jesus that Paul and the rest of the apostles were so convinced of that they were risking their life continuously so that people would know this Jesus as resurrected. 
like as in all power, having, uh, he, death couldn't defeat him, nothing can hold him down, he keeps on bobbing back up, he can't be held down. Verse 19 says, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Not just his great power, his great power has a target market for us who believe, the believing ones. I, I hope that we can all catch that. This Jesus, as much as he loves us and as much as that, that absolutely melts my heart, the fact that he has incomparably great power for me to lead me through whatever it is that he is leading me into. He empowers me. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. All power and all authority. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the, our friends from AWOL, all worthy of love, they could go out and they could do what is in their power to do when they reach out to sex tra- uh, victims of sex trafficking. They could, they could, within their own power and their own resources, go and do. However, I want, what I heard on Friday night wasn't that. What, what, how this ministry, just as an example, how it was born was somebody being led by God against their own will originally to get involved with this most difficult of situations to get involved in. And every step that they have taken subsequent to that has been seeing God come through and lead them and show them and supply for them to do what he has called them to do. There is a huge difference, my friends, between doing what you can do in your power, in your human goodness to reach into broken situations, and God directing you and you being broken before him and and humble before him and leading him and him moving through you. That's resurrection power. That's what we are born to do. And as much as we're sick of religion and don't want this hyper-spiritual crud The answer is not to then just become humanitarian, just do what we can do. The answer is to not make it about religion or church or whatever, but to get back to it being about Jesus. So when John, this this disciple or apostle that I love, and he even describes himself as being the disciple whom Jesus loved, um, but I love his, he's, he's, he, John is the one, obviously, who wrote the, the, the Gospel of John. And it's uniquely different from the other three Gospels. Very poetic, very heart, very um, poet, uh, poet, but imagery, a lot of imagery and, and these kinds of things. Very different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And um, John, as I said earlier, he describes himself routinely in, the, in that Gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. There's something of an intimacy that John had with Jesus, this, this uh, a unique way of relating to him. And, and even at the Last Supper, it's after, after everything has kind of gone down, you see John was leaning upon the breast of Jesus. He's the only disciple being described this way, leaning upon the re- In fact, when Jesus is reported to have risen from the grave, Peter and John go running for, to, towards the grave, and John is sure 
to make sure that in this kind of race to the grave, that he makes sure that we know that he beat Peter to that grave because there was this special friendship that he had with Jesus. Now that John, on Jesus' behalf, was exiled to an island called Patmos, uh, being persecuted for preaching the gospel. And while on Patmos, he had a, what we call a revelation, an encounter with Jesus, and he was the author of the book of Revelation, Yes, and the Gospel of John. Thank you, Minda. And 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as well. He had this revelation of Jesus Christ. That John, who was leaning on the breast of Jesus, hearing the heart of Jesus, having that intimate friendship with Jesus, that same John encountered the ascended, resurrected Jesus. Saw him as he is right now. Not just the slain Lamb of God on a cross, ascended into the highest place with the name that is above every other name. And these are the words of that same John. He said, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was like white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its brilliance, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This one who had been the mate of Jesus, were buds, saw the resurrected ascended Jesus and wanted to die. Not, not because he wanted to like die, like get me out of here, but because the glory of this one. Jesus, let's put that into perspective when, when, when the words that Paul used that I read earlier. The incomparably great power towards us who believe. That's the Jesus that we worship. That's not just a nice little poetic version that he, that's description of what he saw. That is who Jesus is now. Raging love and power. That is who we follow. That is who is giving birth to this church. That is who is giving birth to the church. He has come to save us. He has come to save every person that we know and to bring us back into a glorious inheritance that we will experience for eternity, but it begins here practically in this earth as his sons and daughters. So how about we respond and and just, can we just uh, sing to that same Jesus again and proclaim him and perhaps uh, after some of these thoughts that we've shared, uh, let's, let's trust God for, as we sing, let's trust God for the centrality, for, for the focus, his, his preeminence, his, the, 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 that thing of him being the most important to become a reality here in our own lives. I believe that to the degree that that happens— that we actually live as a people where Jesus is the most important, I believe is the same degree to which we can reach this community with something of what she really needs and something of uh, what the rest of the world is actually hungering after. But it ain't going to be slick church services that will provide. 
It's a people who encountered the Jesus that I just described. And he is here right now. Let's host and facilitate his presence. Uh, would you stand with me just to, just to do that? And please, let's not just go through the motions, like now it's the, the song portion of the, of the, of the meeting. Uh, let's all make ourselves um, like a, pardon me, gentlemen, but like a womb. Like a womb ready to receive what heaven wants to impart into the earth. Let's be vulnerable, let's be receptive, let's let our guard down, but let's also, without shame, without fear, give this Jesus the adoration that is due his amazing name and proclaim here in this earth in unity with the angels that are surrounding the throne right now, Proclaim how great and how awesome he is. Let's unite here in this earth with that which is being spoken in heaven. That we would make a home here in the earth for heaven to come. Jesus, we love you. We adore you. We thank you for what you have done for us. We can't possibly, in the futility even of our English language. We, can't, we cannot speak our gratitude for what you have done for us. There's no words that we could give you that would say thank you adequately. You are absolutely amazing. Lord, we want you. Lord, as we are responding right now, we want to say every single thing that may in some way eclipse you we want to turn our heart fully to you that you would have our heart, have your way completely. Your affection, our devotion, pour out on the feet of Jesus, our affection. Our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus. Our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus. Our affection, our devotion poured out on the Feet of Jesus, our affection, our devotion, poured out on the feet of Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. Standing here 
in your presence. In a grace so relentless, I am one. By perfect love, wrapped within the arms of heaven, in a grace that lasts forever, sinking deep. In mercy seas, I'm wide awake, Drawing closer by grace, and all my heart is yours. All fear removed, I breathe you in, I lean into your love. Oh, oh, oh your love. When I'm lost, you pursue me. Lift my head to see your glory, Lord of all. So beautiful. Here in you I find shelter, captivated by the splendor of your face. My secret place, I'm wide awake. Drawing close, stirred by grace, and all my heart is yours. All fear removed, I breathe you in, I lean into your love. Whoa, 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 your love. Earlier this, this evening when Minda got up and just kind of started to exhort us um, and she shared something that had been prophetically shared from that guy in Chicago, I just had a sense of God speaking over us as a community, as a, as a, as a church, a local a faith community, wanting to speak over us, the same God who spoke the earth into being, speaks those things that he, he gives birth to. And every time a church is planted and it's been authored by, by him, he speaks over it. And I just have that feeling of the, the voice of the Father wanting to, to speak over. And, uh, and as we respond to him, let me, that, same, that same God is the, is the God who said in the form of Jesus... Follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And if we want to walk in what he has promised us, it's not by us being awesome Christians and doing all this good stuff. It's simply following him. How do we follow him? We trust him. How do we trust him? We become convinced of his love and of his power. Can we just intentionally make a choice right now to follow him and know this as we do that it doesn't it follow me and I will make sure that you feel good about yourself or you'll be a, a good Christian follow me and I will make you into something 
Every single person in this room, I believe, has a sense of divine destiny. And it will only be found in the posture of following him. Can we make that decision right now and confess it to him? So, Lord, we're not interested in following our own, our own understanding. We've tried that, and divine destiny never becomes the result. We're never satisfied. We're not interested in just replicating church for the sake of church. But, Lord, we, we want to make a, a, a decision before you right now that we follow you. You are the focal point. You are the one that we follow. You're the only one that we trust. And Jesus, as, you, as we do that, we thank you that you make us into something, what you have spoken over us. And I just have a feeling, and I actually want to invite, if you, if you feel, I would be perfectly comfortable, if you feel like you want to speak what you feel the Father is speaking over us as a faith community, and even to declare it out, I'm going to make it space for that even right now. But I just want to say right now, I feel like the, the Lord speaking over us, a healer of the brokenhearted. Follow me and I will make you a healer of the brokenhearted. Hearts that are broken and you don't have the power to fix them, I will be in you to heal, heal broken hearts. Lord, we just want to agree with that and say, let it be. Let it be. Heal our hearts. Make us into healers of brokenhearted, the brokenhearted as we follow you.